Ladies and gentlemen, Happy New Year. This is your host, JP, and welcome to the World's Greatest Leaders Podcast. It is currently 10.50 p.m. on January 1st of 2020. Um, I just want to give you guys a little intro of what is this going to be about. Um, I started this podcast. I want, I want to bring in on some, some people that I know, some people that I work with, um, some people that I admire as leaders, and I want, want to bring them on and talk to you guys about leadership experience and, and how to become a better, better leader and and uh, what they have they done to, to, to be able to push them this far and, and uh, becoming leaders in, in this community. Um, the episode was recorded two days ago. It was recorded on the 30th of December. Um, I'm just now um, doing some editing and, and being able to, to bring it on. Um, the, the guy I'm going to have on, it's a, it's a really special guy. He's really, really been an impact on, on, on my life and in my military career. And um, let's get this started. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. I'm going to have a lot of good people on here, um, people from all over the place. And they're going to be talking, be sharing a whole bunch of bunch of different experiences. So some great stuff. So stay tuned. Hear the devil calling. Well, I hear the devil calling. Gotta pay him what he's due. I can't stop the dogs of war. I can't stop the dogs of war. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of the World's Greatest Leaders podcast. Um, today I have a really special guest with me. Uh, the guy is is an animal. He's probably one of the most qualified NCOs I ever met. Senior rated jump master. The dude is a is a beast at, at physical fitness. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce you guys to First Sergeant Max Pumphrey. He's currently the first sergeant at the HHT Troop in the 191 Cav 173rd Airborne Brigade stationed here in Grafenwehr, Germany. And how are you doing today, Max? I'm good. How are you, brother? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. It's a it's a big honor to have you on the podcast, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come spend some time with me and share some knowledge to the to the listeners. Can you uh, just t- tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your military experiences? Where have you been? So, uh, in a brief, I mean, obviously, JP, you, you know me better than a, a lot of people. Um, I am uh, 35 years old. I'm, I'm married. Been married for 13 years. I have two daughters. Uh, one is 10. The oldest will be 13. Uh, at the end of this week, which brings its own challenges, her being a teenager now. Um, been in the Army for a total of 17 years. Uh, currently the, the first sergeant of HHT-191 CAV. Spent a lot of time in the 82nd, both 1st and 2nd Brigades. Was an ROTC instructor at Arizona State University. Did some time on recruiting. <clears throat> um, have a bachelor's degree in education. Uh, education and and the development of others is, is one of the things that, that has led me to stay in the Army this long. Um, and uh, jump master qualified. Uh, big into to physical fitness. I try to try to push myself hard every day. Do runs 100 miles every week. FYI. Used to. Not, not currently. Uh, but but I, do, I do run a lot. I work out a lot. And, and it's, it's a passion, passion of mine. It's, it's one of my three primary stress relievers. Um, and, and it, it greatly helps me to, uh, uh, collect my thoughts and, and maintain positive every day. All right. So those that don't know, uh, me and first Sergeant Pumphrey, um, he w- he was my first Sergeant when he was a uh, Bulldog Troops first Sergeant. Um, 
when he got here, uh, I looked at him. I was like, "Damn, this dude has a big jaw. <laughs> he walks like he has a lot of pride. He's not gonna be good, but he ended up probably being the best first sergeant I ever had. Other than the times that he he would take us on like 11s and 13s and 15 mile runs, but they're necessary. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Um, we're gonna get into this thing. I'm gonna call the Mad Minute, and I'm just gonna just hit him with some questions and see what he got. All right, uh, who would want to fight, Chuck, Chuck Norris or Bruce Lee? Mm. Chuck Norris. Bruce Who's your favorite superhero? Bruce Lee's dead. Favorite superhero? Uh, I'm going I'm to just say uh, Captain America. <laughs> All right, uh, what was your first car ever? First car ever was a 1990 Chevy Cavalier Blue that... Uh, some of the paint had been sanded off. It, l- it looked horrible. It was disgusting, but it worked. It cost me 400 bucks. All right. I mean, 400 bucks is 400 bucks. Yeah. What was the last thing you did in public and you were glad that nobody was looking? Oof. Uh, nobody was looking. I don't know. I trip and fall a lot. So, uh, I've seen that. Th- there's, there's several instances in which people have seen me trip and fall, but there have probably been plenty of bad ones in which people have not seen me fall, which I'm, I'm thankful that they have not. All right. If all jobs paid the same, what would you be doing? I'd probably do uh, be a pediatrician or uh, continue my pursuit to, to try and become a social worker to work with, with uh, um, poorly developed uh, adolescents. All right. If you could raise one person from the dead to walk on the modern world, who would it be and why? It's tough. Um, I think I'd, I'd probably have to uh, say say my uh, either my grandpa Pumphrey or my grandpa Taylor, uh, just for the sole purpose of my my grandpa Taylor was was super messed up and brain aneurysms and everything else uh, for a majority of my life, so I didn't get the opportunity to really know who he was as a person because uh, he he had some. Uh, some bad disabilities and stuff that that led to me not being able to know him very well and then uh my grandpa Pumphrey was just so damn old uh even when I was born um that that he wasn't able to act he wasn't he wasn't able to interact with me much when I was a a younger kid as well so I think if I could bring them back and get to know them a little bit better on an individual basis I think that that'd be who it was if you could be president for one day pass something in a law and immediately it will go into effect what would you do? Um, I think I think it'd be uh, something something with uh, providing better opportunities for for urban youth. Um, I feel like uh, oftentimes our urban youth are forgotten about, or or urban youth, um, if they make mistakes, society is very quick to to pass judgment and not provide them the same opportunities as a lot of other people. Uh, so so it'd be about providing opportunities for for urban youth. If you were at an airport and an airline gave you a ticket to go anywhere in the world, where would you go? You can't go home. You can't pack bags. You just have to go. Machu Picchu. Why is that? Hey, Machu Picchu some, uh, is a place that's always interested me. Uh, I've always wanted to go and just have not not had the opportunity, nor have I set aside the time to, to go there for a vacation yet at this point in my life. If you could call yourself five years in the future and ask one question, 
what would you ask yourself? Mm. Do teenage girls ever lose attitude? <laughs> I, I, I yeah. think that would be my. my I hope you're ready question. for. That. I, hope, <laughs> I hope you're ready for that because you got two girls growing yeah. up. All right. Um, if you were a sergeant major of the army, what regulation would you change or add? Well, we all know sergeant majors don't really change regulations, but they they have big influence. So right. What would you do? Absolutely, provide a a, a ton of influence um, as the the senior enlisted advisors. Um, I feel I feel like I would make a lot of the regulation or want the the regulations to be a lot more defined because uh, I feel like a lot of the regulations state at the commander's discretion yes. and like the Tambini. right and, you know and I I think that I think that's unfair to to the soldier I think it needs to be black and white you know and you, it, something that's constantly uh, caused me heartache and and ass pain throughout the years was you know, having longer hair and having yeah. sideburns, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, is Sergeant Major this or Sergeant Major that? Is, hey, your your hair is too long. Well, by the regulation, it states, you know, this, this, and this. Well, it's at the commander's discretion. Well, yes, you are right. However, my <laughs> commander hasn't said anything yet. So I, I don't think I would change anything. I'd just make it more well-defined. Okay. What, what, I mean, you got into, what do you think about the Tambini? You got a lot of people, a lot of controversy came out when they first came out with the regulation on you should wear it or not and then a lot of people before that didn't want to wear it because i don't know for some reason and now like we have a, a unit in alaska that the, the unit commander said no tambinis at all yeah and then that's one of those things where it, it's crazy because they they state at the commander's discretion right so uh you know they they preach in the army or we preach in the army that we want everybody to look the same however uh, it's very difficult to do when it's it's at the commander's discretion. So I think absolutely the the, the coyote brown uh, beanie is is awesome. It looks great with the OCPs, um, and I'm all for it. But it, it needs to be defined. Hey, you will wear the coyote brown beanie, or you will wear the black beanie. Um, and right. I think you know potentially that that commander in, in Alaska is doing the right thing because he's ensuring that all his troopers are are doing the exact same thing. Yeah, like wear the tan uh, beanie out in like in field operations. Right. Wear the black beanie for for garrison and yep. PT and et cetera. And, and that's the thing, you know, black is not a part of our, uh, the, the, the colored pattern within our OCPs. And it's, it's that way for, for a reason, because there's not a lot of blacks out in, uh, amongst the foliage and stuff. Uh, yeah. so, so it makes sense. And it, something like that would absolutely make sense. Okay. All right. Um, what's the best piece of advice you could give somebody? Be yourself, be true to yourself. Um, my belief is, and, and I think you and I have talked about this previously too, but the the moment in which you you are no longer true to yourself, you start to lose your own identity, right? Absolutely. Once you lose your own identity, then uh, that's t that's typically when bad things start to happen because you're, you're not staying straight to your morals, your ethics, uh, in the way in which you were brought up as a child. So I think I think staying true to oneself is probably just the best piece of advice that I could give. Okay. Are you into movies and um, TV shows or no? I am to an extent, yeah. All right. If you could play any character in a movie or TV show, who would you play? Uh, you know, right now my my wife and I are watching uh, season two of Jack Ryan. I think he lives a pretty good life uh, being an analyst for the for the CIA. I, th I think that would be pretty cool. Um, 
and then the movie. I mean, any anything that is uh, fast pace, I think that would be that'd be enjoyable. You wouldn't want to play uh, Pablo Escobar in, in Narcos. No, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't think I would. I would fit the bill, and and I'm so far gone from, uh, you know, lingo and what is what. You know, if you ask me about certain drugs, I have no. I would have no clue. And and I know they have coaches and people that teach and and talk about all this stuff. But I'm so lost that that it would not be fair to to the people that want to watch the show for me to even uh, pretend like I know what the hell it is. All right. Obviously, you're at you're at uh, you're at 17 years in the army. Um, you're obviously not going to get out. Are you, are you gonna? Are you planning to stay in after 20? Or are you going to get out at 20? And if you are stay, stay getting out, what would you what would you do? I think I think the army is going to make that decision for me. Um, I I do believe at some point I will be selected uh, for for sergeant major, um, and and I'll go to the academy and then you know wait my time to to fill a position. So I, I think ultimately the army will make that decision for me. Um, my my plan for the longest time is always to to do probably no less than twenty six years and and hopefully uh, be no less than a brigade level command sergeant major. Um, I, I feel that at that level, that's about the the time in which you you start losing touch with other senior NCOs, and I think that's the last time in which I could actually make a big impact on senior NCOs. Um, and then after that, you know, I think I think a lot of not all, but I think there's a lot of sergeants majors out there that start to lose touch with with reality and what's actually going on within the army. Um, so, so that's kind of my 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 time frame right now for the army. Um, my my wish and my my desire upon retirement is is I really want to have my master's in social work complete, um, either prior to retirement or pretty close upon retirement. I already have a bachelor's in education, like I said, and and my goal is to uh, become a social worker. Um, within a, a school district in an urban environment uh, and, and work predominantly with high school students. If it wasn't for the journey of the Army, what would you be doing? Man, uh, you know, I, I used to look back and wonder what I'd be doing right now. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure I would have made it through college. Uh, had I ran straight through college instead of joined the Army. They can um, run through everything. Yeah, I... I, I, I did not make uh, the the best decisions prior to joining the army, and uh, I like to think I was a great person, but still was making poor decisions in life. Um, but but I think I I still would have pursued something or to work with kids. I've I've always enjoyed working with kids and and trying to help out kids. Uh, so so I think I think something along those lines. Before I joined the army, I was working at a uh, a dare a, a daycare, um, and it was a a subsidized uh, housing area uh, with low-income families that I was working with prior to join the Army. So that's that's kind of always been my inspiration. What is a message or story that you can you can tell to our listeners <clears throat> to help them face whatever they have going on right now and whatever dif- difficulty that they're going through to, to accomplish one of their objectives or one of their goals? It can either be a, like a message or, or a story. So I, I will say in... in and you, you've talked about this, and and I talk about this a lot. But you know, really, you, you just have to be the best version of yourself every day, right? Um, you can you can compare yourself to others, and you can say, "Hey, he or she is better than I am," or "I am better than he or she." But at the end of the day, it it's about it's about you and and what you're doing, um, and then 
with that, you know, what is that, what is that providing for you? What is that providing for your family? What is that providing for, for those around you? You know, so by me putting in, uh, the extra miles or the extra time for my physical fitness, you know, what is that doing for me and what is that doing for my family and what is that doing for my soldiers? So I talk about physical fitness being a part of my life. And, and really the importance is it's not about me passing the APFT because that's, that's certainly not an issue. And it's not about me being able to pass the ACFT because that's not going to be an issue either. But really what it comes down to for me is first from, first and foremost is life longevity, right? I, I want to be able to celebrate 50 year anniversary with my wife. I want to mm-hmm. watch my daughters graduate from high school. I want to watch them graduate from college if they choose to go to college. I, I want them to have kids and I want to be a grandfather. You know, I want to be there for all those years. I want to be able to play with my kids and my grandkids, <clears throat> you know, and then additionally, uh, other than life longevity, what does it do for me? What does it do for the soldiers? I, I think it, it provides some inspiration, you know, especially for younger soldiers that, that may be struggling a little bit in their, their physical fitness and they see, you know, one of the old men out there and, and still getting after it every day and, and performing at the same level, if not higher than them. I think it pro- provides some inspiration and it, it pushes them to, to want to be better. But ultimately, I, I try to tie it into the life longevity piece as much as possible because at the end of the day, whether I do 20 years, whether I do 30 years of service, you know, I'm, I'm only looking at being 40, 50 years old. And, and I'm still young enough to spend several more years with my wife and my kids. And, and that is the of the utmost importance to me. Absolutely. And a lot of people mistake that with um, a good, good example is you're you're with platoon you're with your platoon doing sprints at the track and you're not the fastest guy but you start sandbagging but you act like you're trying your hardest and that's not really what being the best version of yourself is like if you keep trying to be the best version of yourself every day you you want one day you'll be the fastest in your platoon one day you'll be you'll be you'll get to where you want to be it's not just be the best version of yourself or act like you're being the best version of yourself and truly not be that right yeah, no, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and and it, it's fine if you're not always number one, you know? And it's it's fine if you're not always number two. But as long as you know uh, inside, and it, and it goes back to just staying true to yourself, as long as you know that you're pushing yourself hard and you're, you're constantly trying to make yourself better, then then that's what you got to do. You know, it's it's when I go and do the sprints with, with you guys on the track, right? I beat him. I maybe the first time but after that he starts sandbagging like he's talking about whatever so uh you know i i may not be number one every time but if we're doing 10 sprints i will i will be number one probably close to half of those Mm -hmm. and and if not i will be in the top three every single damn time you know what i'm saying so like I, i may not be the best but overall i'm going to be up there and i'm going to push myself every single day absolutely well, I mean, that, that's it for the Matt Minute that actually took, um, like, 15 to 16 minutes, right? We're figuring it out. We'll get it straight. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, me and uh, me and First Arm, we're, we're, we're on leave right now, right? And we I just got back from Amsterdam yesterday, and no, I did not use no weed while I was in Amsterdam, right? That's good. And um, I was in Dublin before that. He he was in Dublin. Uh, you want to talk about us? How was how was your little um, your trip with your family over in Dublin? Uh, Dublin, Ireland was awesome. So we did a little bit different. Um, you know, we started in Dublin and and we traveled into it around Dublin for a day. And the following day, we drove up to Belfast and went to the Titanic Museum and went to a Christmas market and in Belfast because what what 
spouse does not love a good Christmas absolutely, market. Absolutely. And then, uh, then we drove out, uh, to, to the West side of Ireland and hit the cliffs of Moher, which one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. It was, it was amazing. And, uh, the following day we, we drove down to uh, Blarney castle and kissed the Blarney stone, which supposedly will give you the gift of gab if you go and kiss the Blarney stone. So, so I'll be good. Uh, and then we drove back to Dublin, spent another day in Dublin and Ireland's a beautiful country. Great people. Some of the nicest and most friendly people I've Absolutely. met in all of Europe. They are very nice. Uh, <clears throat> Irish people are probably one of the nicest people I've met in the entire world. Absolutely. Hands down by far the, the nicest people I've met in Europe up, up to this, this point. Absolutely. Yeah. People in Spain are actually pretty nice too. When I went to Barcelona, uh, like a year last year, yeah, last year, everybody w- it was nice. Um, I don't really speak Spanish, but I speak Portuguese, so everybody was pretty understandable on that. And a lot of them could help me out. And I, I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm saying Portuguese and it's <laughs> yeah. working. Yeah, we did Barcelona last last year as well. Barcelona is probably my favorite city in all of Europe. Definitely, definitely. I'm I'm more of a beach guy and. Barcelona definitely. There was a time I was going for a for a little jog in, in Barcelona, and I'm jogging by the beach, and I start seeing a whole bunch of of naked people, and I and I'm like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, it's it's it's, it's common. Like, you'd be on the beach, and just a, a random a lady would just take off her top and just sunbathe. But I actually ended up into a um a, what is known to be a gay nude beach, right? There's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being gay and being nude, but I was just on on the, on the wrong side of town, <laughs> going for a run, and so I turned around very quick and I went back. But it was it's pretty interesting. If you haven't checked out Barcelona, you should definitely go check out Barcelona. I also recommend Barcelona. Barcelona is a great time. Um, oh, you, you visit anywhere else during leave or or just Ireland? Just Ireland, Edder and Ed, uh, been going to the gym every day, running almost every day as well, uh, and spending as much time with, with my daughters and my wife as possible. So it's it's been pretty low-key. and uh, A lot of family it, time, because you do not get a lot of family time over here. Right, very true. Yeah, making up making up for lost time. So um, this man runs. He right, talks about how he runs a lot, and I never once seen him stretch. So I think he, he got like shin splints built into his his shins and <laughs> his knees already are like are destroyed and he just keeps going they don't care so i'm why don't you tell us like why don't you stretch so f- for me it, it's i don't know a mix of of i will say laziness combined with just just wanting to get after it right uh stretching cuts into time that c- you could be on the road yeah right uh however if you are stretching properly and, and doing that correctly, it, it limits and reduces the the chance for injury. Um, however, I haven't had too many crazy injuries, thank, thankfully. Uh, but I, I, that's that's what it is. It's a mix of, of just being lazy and to just want to get after it and hit the road as quickly as possible. However, when I when I do PT with with like large elements, I I will stretch with the elements to make sure that I'm. In, included and in, in doing everything properly in, in front of everybody it's just it's definitely not my favorite thing to do and and his wife is a yoga instructor and he, he's missing out. i would definitely be taking advantage of that if my the, wife was a yoga instructor certainly missed opportunities right but the, but that's the thing like you've you've met stephanie and you've talked to her several times uh great lady however uh when she she comes with her yoga for me it's it's uh yeah she's ready to jack me up how how many times can i make him go chair pose which is like a seated squat position and just hold it 
she's about breaking me off and, and not about making sure that I'm, I'm stretched out and, and maintaining some mobility and flexibility. She's just about breaking me off. All right. Yeah. Stephanie's Stephanie is awesome. Um, so we're going to get into our, uh, our interview portion of the podcast in a little bit. Um, what, what do you, what do you think is like the best thing about being, you, you, you were a first sergeant in, uh, in Bulldog and now you're HST first sergeant. What do you think is like the best part of being a first sergeant? Oh man. I, I know that being a first sergeant at Bulldog is better than HHT. Hey, they, they both have their pluses and minuses, man. Uh, you know, and when you're, when you're a maneuver first sergeant, yeah, a lot of the personalities are very similar, right? Yeah. And, and mirror somewhat of, of how I am and how I act. Uh, whereas HHT is completely different, right? Not as not as many muscle draggers or knuckle yeah. draggers and, and muscle heads, right? Um, but there's there's a wide variety of personalities. Being able to 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 work with all the different personalities is great. It, it's it's super interesting. It's it's fun. Um, but I I think the best part about being a first sergeant um, is definitely being provided the opportunity uh, and and flexibility just to maneuver and. and really talk to whoever you want to in the troop, yeah. right? Um, you know, as a squad leader, you typically t- stick to your squad and talk to the, your, your squad mates. You know, as a platoon sergeant, it's, it's predominantly the dudes in your platoon. Well, you know, as a, as a first sergeant and in, in Bulldog, we, we had anywhere from seven to a hundred or 70 to 112 people in the troop at any time. And now in HHT, I have almost a 170 above us. So like I, I can go out there and talk to anybody I want. Yeah. And and that is by far the greatest thing is that the the level of engagement which I have with with subordinate leaders is mm-hmm. is phenomenal and it's it's absolutely fun. The worst part is a crap ton of administrative paperwork and and I am not a fan, <laughs> a fan of that nor are probably most first sergeants. Uh I'm I'm digging that that sweet airborne hat you have that I've been wanting to snag it off you since you <laughs> for the longest. <laughs> So it's a it's it's for the the three two five right so second brigade eighty second, um, and you know nowhere on the hat does it does it say that um, <clears throat> it has the crest in the back and and the other that it's it's just the parachute with the glider right so it's for the gli- the gliders and the World War Two heritage yeah so so people that you can see it's, it's just a it's a I think it was supposed to be a black hat but he wore it so much it's it's very faded and turning brown but it's just a <laughs> A black ball cap with uh, with the old logo that they used to wear on the headgear for the paratroopers in World War Two. And and actually, uh, a good buddy of mine, his name's Joe Brumfeld. He's a he he is a, an ACRC dude now um, down in Mississippi. But he uh, he got this as a retention gift, and and he did not want it when he reenlisted. I want it. So so he gave it to me. <laughs> I, I will never part with this thing. I wear this almost every single day. <laughs> yeah, you do. It has about to start walking by itself. That's how much you lose. <laughs> yeah. All right, so so you already talked about a little about yourself. You talk you briefly talked about um about your career, but let's get a bit into detail. Like, why did you join the army? Like, what was the first, what did you come in as? What would you do? Like and stuff like that. Did you ever like go try to do something else besides being a besides being a, a nineteen series? So, stuff? um, I jo- I joined the army in two thousand two. Uh, I was a senior in high school when September eleventh happened. Um, I wrestled. I, I was decent at wrestling in school. Um, came from came, came from Iowa, so you know it, it's a pretty big wrestling state. Um, I was decent. wasn't great. A couple of small schools potentially I could have I could have went and wrestled at. 
uh, September 11th happened, and, and that was a, a huge driving factor for me in, in my desire to serve. My, my dad retired out of the Army. My older brother had was currently serving and had already been to Kuwait uh, as just a, a rotational unit with 3rd with ID. Um, He's a leg. He, he is a leg, absolutely, absolutely, hands down a leg. However, my father was not. He's, he served in the 82nd and 101st in the 60s. Um, so, you know, that, I think some of the it was the, the family heritage was a push, but but ultimately it was September 11th, right? So when that had happened, it it, it changed my, my course drastically and what I w- was planning on doing, which was attempting to go and wrestle in, in college. Um, you know, I... I Originally enlisted as a 19 kilo as a as a M1 armor crewman. So you were fat. I was I was not fat. I was a tanker. Uh, you know, a, a dat, a dumbass tanker, as as people would say. Um, but everybody you, everybody makes fun of the tankers until you you need them and they just come and just show you everything and you're like, thank they, here. My brother, my brother, like I said, my my older brother, he was he was in and and he uh, he served on the invasion into Iraq. Um, prior to the invasion, he made fun of me a lot. He was a 14 Romeo, a Bradley linebacker, which is air defense artillery and, and no longer exists. Um, but he would make fun of me all the time for being a, a dat, right? Uh, when he came back from the invasion, he said, I will never make fun of you again for being a tanker because <laughs> those dudes saved my ass so many times during the invasion that, that they're, they're absolutely amazing. They're yeah, absolutely that's great. probably, that's probably the time that they, that they <clears throat> used the most to be honest, ever since, um, like a, like a big world like world war one world war two absolutely happened. and i think 911 was probably that era was probably the where they recruited the most army navy marines not the coast guard but the, <laughs> the air force uh, that's probably the time that most people enlisted everybody just want to make a big difference i mean I, I, if i was a 4 year old i probably would have enlisted too yeah he uh so you know, I enlisted as a as a kilo. Uh, I was stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas, and with with First ID two three four Armor Battalion. Um, and uh, you know, I I went to SFAS Special Forces Assessment and Selection as a did as you, a young specialist. Did you go as a tanker or? I did. I went okay. as a tanker. Uh, How did that go? It it was okay. I I was road killed twice in the same same night. So uh, being a road kill is is essentially cheating on the the. The star course. Yeah, those uh, that don't know, being a roadkill is when, so you're not allowed to use the roads on the land nav, and being a roadkill is when you're caught using the roads. Right. I was trying to run as fast as I could, and unfortunately, it wasn't fast enough, <laughs> yeah. and I got I got to- caught twice in the same night. So, so I was I was uh, pushed out of, of selection, and, and could have returned, um, but uh, when I came back, I, I I started looking at some things quite a bit, and and actually I. At the time, instead of SFL TAP, we, we had ACAP, right, which was the transition to get out of the Army. So I actually went through ACAP and had completed ACAP uh, in, in 2004, and, and my plan was to get out of the Army. Um, however, I was stop-lost, and I, I went to Iraq with 234 Armored Battalion, and it was during that deployment uh, in which I, I made some, some big life changes, and, and that's when I chose to re-enlist for the first time. Um, and, uh, I, that, I also switched my MOS, right? So I went from a 19 kilo to a 19 Delta and also chose to go to airborne school as part of my contract as well, which was a good decision. I actually went to airborne school as a, as a 19 kilo as prior before I switched. So I I was an airborne tanker. Yeah. That does not happen for for about eight weeks. I was an airborne tanker. 
Um, and then after that, you know, uh, after I reclass and, and went to, to airborne school, I'd, I was stationed at Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina, 1st Brigade, uh, 373 Cav. <clears throat> and, and I actually got there before they reactivated because uh, originally it was 373 Armor. So I, I got there in July of 06, and they, they reactivated in, in uh, July, August of 2006. Okay. Um, after that, you, you, what would you do after, after you were in the 82nd? So I, I went through a, 14, a little over 14-month deployment with, with uh, 1st Brigade 82nd. And uh, when we came back, I, I went to uh, become a recruiter. I was a recruiter in Joplin, Missouri. Um, Honestly, one of the biggest letdowns of my life was was being a recruiter. Um, <laughs> it, I, I thought that I was getting something completely different out of uh, out of being a recruiter. I thought that I was going to have a lot more time with the family, and and found out that it's actually almost less time with the family. Only only no field problems. Uh, re- recruiting was not enjoyable. Um, when I was in Joplin, Missouri, though, they had a huge F five tornado. Uh, they killed about, uh, I think it was 160 some people. And it was like the, the seventh most deadly tornado of all time in the history of the United States. Um, so I got to, I got to do a lot of, um, recovery type missions, um, with the, the local populace and search and rescue and police and, uh, fire department. And that was a, a, a great experience from a, a, a tragic event. Uh, I learned a lot during during those couple of weeks, uh, you know, I, after that, and I, I had my hopes on on not not uh, jumping out of planes anymore. Um, so I was trying to go to 101st or 25th ID, uh, either Fort Campbell or Hawaii uh, branch. You know, they're like, "Yep, we we have slots available at both those places for you, man. We're gonna hook you up." I got the famous email that said, got "Hey, it. you're on assignment order." So I called branch, and I'm like, "Hey, man, where am I going? 101st or 25th? What's up?" They're like, no, man, we hooked you up. You're going back to the 2nd. Like, what, what are you doing, man? Uh, so I ended up going to, to 2nd Brigade, 173 Cav, uh, which was a phenomenal opportunity to go back to Fort Bragg. That, that's when I became a jet what, master. What rank were you at that time? That time I was a, a staff sergeant promotable sergeant first class, okay. right? So I, I finished my section time at, at Fort Bragg the first time, and then when I went back to Fort Bragg, I showed up as a staff sergeant promotable and was – was uh, promoted to Sergeant First Class a little bit later that year. Went straight into a platoon, um, led a platoon for you know thirty months, uh, and and it was a phenomenal opportunity. Some of the the greatest leaders I'd ever worked with that that actually inspired me quite a bit uh, were were in one seven three Cav, and that's Command Sergeant Major Ayala and and Lieutenant Colonel Eric Boss, who who's now a a colonel. Um, he's the G three five seven of the 18th airborne corps, or at least he was, uh, he may not be there right now. Um, and he was the, the deputy, uh, commander for the 173rd after he, he finished his time as our, our squadron commander, but they, they inspired me a lot and, and, and made me look at some things in, in leadership quite differently. So, so then after that, I, I was provided the opportunity to go be a, an ROTC instructor at Arizona state university. So if, if you guys have, if any military members are listening and have or had any lieutenant, brand new lieutenants that came from Arizona State, and they suck, you got me to think for you. Yeah. <laughs> Depend, <laughs> depending on when they were there, yeah. yeah thank this man. But but most of them were pretty good. We we had a good population. It's one it's one of the larger programs in the nation. Uh, obviously, the location is is desirable, right? It, 
it very rarely drops below 50, 60 degrees. Oh, that's great. It was phenomenal. I wish I had that here. It, it, it was the best assignment I've had thus far in the Army. It was great. Uh, you did gain some weight, though. No, not there in recruiting. Oh, I did. Yeah, in recruiting, did. I gained some weight. And that's that's when I realized I had to start making fitness a priority of mine or I'd die from a heart attack at like 40 years old. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, Arizona State was was great. Uh, and that That's where I got my, my degree from. I was provided the opportunity to go to school while I was there and, and pursue some, some personal goals as well and a lot of family time. So any any sergeant's first class that are you know a, a 19 series 11 series 13 series or 18 series you know I, I definitely recommend that if you're provided the opportunity to go ROTC to to take that opportunity it's it's great for not only career development but personal development as well I, I think it's great and it allows you to start looking forward uh, to set you up for once you once you get out of the army mm-hmm. you know what are you going to do when you retire uh, and then you know thankfully I, I had a good buddy uh, who's the branch manager, um, Corey Truax, and you know when I was talking to him, trying to to look for assignments. That's that's when I I was pegged to go to 173rd and, and go to 191 here in Germany, uh, in in exceptional unit by far the the best cavalry squadron that I've ever been a part of. It the the leaders, the caliber of leaders that that I've served amongst here are the, are the best hands down from private to you know the the squadron commanders that, that we've had since I've been here, absolutely phenomenal. The 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 best hands down leaders I've ever had the opportunity to serve with. Absolutely, I mean, the one on one is different. I mean, you hear a lot of people talking talking crap about us, but everybody we all talk crap about the unit sometimes, but <laughs> nobody is allowed to talk crap about our unit because only we know how, how it is. It's a great unit. Um, if you if you're coming here to one on one, and you think that you're going to have a lot of, that you're going to have the time of your life, that you're going to have a lot of free time, you're going to be traveling Europe all the time. I would re- recommend you change that mindset. It's a very high-paced unit. You train a lot. It's not bad training, but you train a lot. And I, I having uh, been here as my first unit, my first assignment is, I, th- I think it's definitely going to put me ahead of a lot of people when I go uh, when I go to my next unit. I agree. but it, So the, the other thing, too, I think you got to think about is, there's opportunities to travel and see Europe, but you have to make the most absolutely, of those opportunities, absolutely. right? You, you can choose to sit in your barracks room or at your house and not do anything over a four-day weekend, or you can take a quick flight to, you know, London or, or wherever, right? And it's cheap. I paid 29 euros for my flight to London. Yeah. Leaving the next morning. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It makes it's, it's it, it's great. It's awesome. Uh, but, the, the yeah. you know, like, like you said, the, the training here, um, dudes train so much harder here in the 173rd and, and definitely within 191 than, than I've ever seen. And the knowledge and the skill set across the, the junior enlisted population is better here than anywhere I've ever seen. I, I have no doubt that when soldiers leave here in 191 and transition to other units and, and definitely other airborne units, um, they, they will walk into positions of, 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 to, of uh, more responsibility and and more leadership uh, potential due to the experience here in, in 191, and the the ge- geographical separation is is partially uh, to to be thanked for that, but ultimately it's just the go get them attitude that everybody has. It's it's phenomenal. Absolutely, across the board. Across the board, you you have people um, knowing how to do their two steps up. Like if you're a private, you will know how to. You, you absolutely know how to do your team leader's job. If you're a, if you're a section leader, you will know how to do your, your, your platoon sergeant job. It's, it's like that across the board. 
Um, <clears throat> it's it's a being an airborne is a very small world, right? I'm, I'm uh, I think it's well, the second time you were at the 82nd. You were that's where you met um, Sergeant Nap. Yeah, studied Sergeant st- First Class. Nap. He, he he did. Uh, he was one of my section leaders when I was a platoon sergeant. Uh, I had uh, five or six different section leaders in 30 months as a platoon sergeant. Um, dude, just that's good or bad. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of both, you know, uh, guys leaving for schools, guys being provided different opportunities, guys being moved, uh, just, just for a change of pace. Um, but he, he was hands down the, the best section leader in which I had the entire time. You're going to have uh, one of your old section leaders call you. What the fuck what are you talking about, man? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're good. I, like I said, I, I've had several, but, but as far as knowledge set, care, presence, physical fitness ability and, and just overall potential to, to do great things within the army. He's the best one I had. And, uh, for those that you do not know, Sarnap, he's very, he's a very, um, easy to find person. The dude is pale white, <laughs> very bright red hair. And it's it, today, more, more orange. Yeah. More orange. Like yeah. that. He, he, um, and it's just such small, such a small world that they were together in Bragg. And now he is a platoon sergeant in um, in Alpha Troop here in 191. And also, he, he wasn't my drill, but he, he came over one time in, in basic and, and jacked my, my platoon up for having orange peels in our lockers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you deserved it. Why would you have orange peels in your locker? I mean, it wasn't me, but the dude ended <laughs> up having to eat a whole three oranges without peeling in a friendly arrest. I don't believe <laughs> it. It was hilarious. I don't believe that. It was hilarious. It was, it was, and he, you can talk to him here. He remembers it too. It's, it's great. <clears throat> All right. Um, so, uh, you, you're a senior, you're a senior rated jump master. Why did you want to be a jump master? And what do you think is like the best part of it? A lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to be a jump master. Oh, it sucks. I'm like, so originally the, the reason in which I went to jump master school, it was, it was like a, a, probably a Wednesday or a Thursday. Um, and uh, my sergeant major came and talked to me, and, and this command sergeant major, Richard Ayala, um, retired. Uh, he came up to me, and he said, hey, Pumphrey, you're, you're going to jump master school next week. Yeah. I, I, of course, I had my white slip, right? But uh, he said, you're going to, to jump master school. I said, well, I, I'm not sure that I'm ready, sergeant major. And he said, well, do you enjoy being a platoon sergeant? I said, I love being a platoon sergeant. And he said, okay, then come back as a jump master or come back as not a platoon sergeant. Those are your options. <laughs> So you said you're going or uh, you're going. I, I ultimately, uh, I mean, I, I'm certain I would have kept my platoon either way, but, uh, you know, it, it, he gave me that extra push that I needed to, yeah. to ensure that I was doing the right thing while I was in jump master school and, and I definitely graduated, um, first time through, um, best part about being a jump master, I, I think is, uh, a couple of things. One, it's, it provides more opportunity to engage with, with soldiers and, and leaders across a formation, right? Because, you know, you may end up JMPIing and uh, talking to a soldier that you've never, never met before, and that one engagement may, may be something that, that leads that soldier to, to, wanting to wanting to do things much better or change their life, you know? Um, but I, I, think, I think really the, the greatest thing is... is uh, when you're doing a clear to the rear as jump master, mm-hmm. uh, leaning out of the aircraft, I, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's an experience that not everybody gets, and it, it, it feels amazing. Absolutely. And it's also like the only way to make sure that the, the person that you're in is is ready and yep. 
it's good good to go right um do, do you want to talk to us about um how did you get your bronze star and what happened that day and, and all that stuff uh so you know i i did from from a, a deployment in iraq um you know i think it's one of those things that i i'm not sure uh if if i if i was deserving or should have gotten it or not you know it, that's obviously a decision above me and and they made the decision that that it be maintained at a, at a as a bronze star um and this was when i was a, a staff sergeant um but essentially i think it boils down to uh the work that i put in throughout throughout a deployment you know i i led a couple of of troop scale movements um uh, on a couple of of different raids um, that led to the successful capture of, you know, a couple of IED makers and stuff. Um, but I don't think it's anything that I did necessarily. I, I think it was just a collective effort of the team. Um, and then the the leaders above me believing that that, that was the warden, which I, I deserved. Um, you know, my, my wife, uh, she, she hates any time that somebody talks about, um, me having a, a bronze star, um, because when I was awarded the bronze star, when they, when they pinned it on my chest, um, I took it off and, and gave it to one of my soldiers and, and thanked him for, for being my driver for the past, you know, 14 months. Um, however, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that he, yeah, he, he, he wasn't awarded it. I, I just gave it to him cause I, I thought he, he, he had done a, a phenomenal job and, and ultimately as a driver in Iraq during that time frame with the IEDs and the EFPs and everything, he, he did it's a, like a, a, time to be a driver. phenomenal, yeah, and, and we were driving in, we, great. We, we we were the late scout truck, you know. So, yeah, he did a he did a phenomenal job. Um, but he 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 was a dirtbag. He was a horrible soldier. He was a horrible soldier <laughs> before we left to Iraq. He was a horrible soldier soldier after we came back from Iraq. But he did phenomenal while we were deployed. Um, and and he ended up being chaptered out of the army just. He, like I said, he was a horrible. Right, we're soldier. Not he was a, yeah, he was a horrible soldier. But so I, I gave him the medal, and I told my wife that, and she was pissed. She she did not care about soldier. Uh, he he took a lot of a lot of time away from the family uh, yeah. for for some special attention. For those that don't know, the the Bronze Star Medal is awarded to service members that done some heroic or meritorious services overseas. And like Max said, he he did some pretty cool stuff that. That led to the capture of some some pretty important HVTs, and it's pretty cool that someone took the the, the time to to actually recognize you and give you that award because I really don't think that our service members are are recognized enough for the stuff that they do. Uh, what is a um, what is one of the a significant moment in your career that made you be the leader that you are today? So. Uh, I, I've had a lot of phenom phenomenal soldiers work work underneath me, um, or work with me rather, um, over over the past seventeen years. And let's see, I mean, I've, I've been an NCO for the the past fourteen years um, of service. And w one of those soldiers, he, he's out and he, he's doing great things um, as as a civilian now. But Alex Kaliniak, um, very very strong soldier, very good soldier, um, but also very hard-headed, right? So um, back in the day, you know, as a, as a young sergeant, everybody talked about being a bulldog and being in the face of your soldiers. And, you know, with that came yelling and, and 
corrective training, this, that, and the other. It's, it's crazy how a lot of people think that that is, is, is a good lead. I mean, yeah. you're hard, but I mean, it's... It's not. Yeah. It, it's, it's not, not effective. Yeah. It's, it, like, it's like saying that you're a great leader just because you went to brain school. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and you're a great leader if you go to gym at school. Yeah. You know, but. <laughs> so he, he's... he's he he taught me more about that than than any leader that I'd ever had previous to or or after the fact you know and you know I I would I would dig at him for the same thing over and over and over again and and he wouldn't ever change or or fix the deficiency in which he had and then one day I I took the time to sit with him and just talk to him about it and uh that that one conversation of just taking the time to sit with the soldier and and identify the problem and what was going on and how to how to combat the problem and and come to a solution together uh taught me so much and and that is ultimately i think led me the most to to who i am as a leader today um was the the interaction which i had with alex kaliniak um like i said he went on to do great things if he's uh, still in no, so he's out. So he he owns a a CrossFit gym in in Dallas, Texas. It's called D Town CrossFit. That's why you like there, him. There's the plug, right? <laughs> uh, but I mean, he's he's doing phenomenal. He's a crazy intelligent guy. Uh, he stayed in the army until he was a staff sergeant. He's a veteran. You know, ranger, ranger tabbed, jump master qualified, sniper, sniper qualified. You know, so he went and did tremendous things, and you know, he just he wasn't feeling in the army anymore, so he went to do some other things and has been super successful uh even on the civilian side and and it, it's of no surprise he's a he's a great individual and, and like i said even when he was a private and i was a young sergeant and young staff sergeant he he taught me a, a crap ton about what leadership really was and, and that that and i think changed me uh in a positive direction going forward and not, not everybody is is meant to be in the military not everybody that comes in graduates basic training graduates airborne school and, and get to their unit, they, they're actually meant to be there. And we see that a lot where a soldier won't be able to pass PT as a soldier is not performing well, a soldier is, is messing up constantly. And in the civilian world, when you're doing that stuff, when you're breaking the rules, when you, when you can't keep up, when you're, when you're not uh, maintaining a, uh, your performance standard, most likely you're going to get fired. And I, and I think as a military, as an organization, we, we should be able to do that better. I think we hold on to people that shouldn't be here for like six, seven, eight months, sometimes even more than a year. And that person is taking up a spot of someone that deserves to be here, someone that actually wants to be there. Right. And I think as an organization, we, we need to improve on that. Like we need to do a, a, a lot better job on, on that situation. Right. You know? It's it really what it comes down to is failed systems, I think. Right. So, you know, if you, if you think about the times personally, when, when you have been smoked, by a leader, a leader jacked you up for, for corrective training, right? Which is, it's, it's never the right answer in my opinion, but like, what did it correct? What did it fix? Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't fix anything. Right. But the times in which a leader is taking the time to sit with you and actually explain things to you, now you are being developed and now you do have an understanding of what, what you need to do to improve. Right. And, and so I think, it, I think almost anything can be fixed with just open-ended, open ended, open open-ended and, and candid conversation between people, right? And and it's not about me being a leader and that person being a subordinate. It's not about that. It's about being a, a, a leader of presence, being a leader of care, right? And and being selfless and, and taking care of those that, that need care, right? Yeah. And provide an opportunity, you know? So 
I think conversation and, and just taking the time to get to know your, your, your soldiers is, is of the utmost importance. And, and that's a failed system. Pete, there's a lot of people that don't take the time to get to know their soldiers, you know, as a, as a first sergeant of 170 people right now, you know, I, I know Imagine if you had to like do correct your channel, every single person yeah, that messed up. Over right. There. You know, so. but I know, I know all of their names. Right. Yeah. And, and, I don't know all of them on a personal basis, but my intent is to to know all of them on a personal basis, so that if if somebody does seem off or somebody does look like they're stagnant, like I can provide some guidance, right? Absolutely. And, and so I and and with the the other thing is, uh, you know, there there are systems in place in which people can can have people uh, re- removed from the army and and uh, be provided the opportunity to have a successful life outside of the army. But they're they're not doing it right because it, it takes time, it takes paperwork, and it takes it takes being studious and looking into regulations and publications and this that and the other. And people aren't doing it, Absolutely. right? It's it's not a hard process if you just take the time or you ask the right questions, yeah. you know. So the army the army has has people in in places and positions in which if you just ask them the right questions, they can provide you. Uh, with the understanding or at least point you in the, the direction of the right regulation or publication to assist in, in that. So it, it's just people not wanting to do the work in failed systems, I think. Do you have uh, any leaders that like you look up to like one time when things are going hard or like, damn, I think this person would do this. Let me talk to this person. Or you have someone like that? Yeah. So, uh, several throughout time. Um, I, I think when it, when it comes to leadership and, and life lessons and, and lessons learned. Uh, the two people I, I call on the most are typically my my older brother, um, who uh, was in the army, like it said, and, and fought in the invasion of Iraq, um, and and now works for for Gulfstream down in Savannah. And then the other is my my dad, who like I said was was in the eighty second, was in the hundred first. He fought with the the eighty second Dominican Republic. He fought with the the hundred first in Vietnam. Uh, had a That's lapse awesome. in service, you know, and then and then uh, went went green to gold and, and uh, commissioned and, and retired as a major in the reserves, you know. So I talked to them a lot about leadership and and life experiences and and lessons learned from things that they've had. And they bring a different dynamic when it comes to leadership because they they're both so far gone from the military now is is they can keep me in touch with reality and what's actually happening in society right now, which which helps. Um, but you know, I I think there there's really only been a couple of of sergeants majors or first sergeants um, or platoon sergeants that I've had over time that actually have made a difference. But but really, I I think the ones that I've really looked up to. Um, are far outweighed by by those that I've never wanted to be anything like, um, which is sad. But I, I still have a lot of lessons learned um, from those that that I did not think were uh, were were great for the development of the organization. So you have been in the army for for quite a while, and you you've been in a non commissioned officer a while. So um, when did you first get promoted to sergeant? So I was I was promoted to sergeant in February of two thousand six. That's about thirteen years as as a yeah. as an NCO. And when did you become a, a, a sergeant first class? Uh, so let's see. I was I was promoted to sergeant in 06, staff sergeant in March of oh seven, uh, sergeant first class November of two thousand twelve. Spent a long time as a as a staff sergeant, and then 
Uh, I was promoted to, I was frocked in January um, of 18 and pinned January or March 18. Okay, so yeah, so that's 13 years as an as an commission officer. That's seven mm-hmm. years at a senior not commission officer, right? So it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of um, a lot of a lot of time under on, on, on your belt, but. What what do you expect from from the leaders below you, like the team leaders, the squad leaders, the platoon sergeants? And I don't know if there's if there is a perfect leader, but what what would you think would be a leader that's like as close to perfect as possible? You know, I, I think what what makes if you it, say Ranger School, you're gonna get kicked out of my podcast. <laughs> if that's all we have to do to end the show, then hey, no, uh, I, I'm enjoying this. I I, I think. I think really what it boils down to is I know some people hate the the terminology engaged leaders or you know whatever but I think um I think just a, a leader of care right and and putting yourself out there um I I think a a leader that takes the the time to get to know their soldiers um takes the time to train their soldiers and and takes the time to uh, improve upon the development of those soldiers so whether that be their their personal life or, or their professional life you know it, it being a leader takes time uh, but it, at the end of the day it, it's all worthwhile right so I, I think one of my favorite stories I like to talk about so we, we talked about you, you know some first class Cody Knapp when when he was a section leader of mine, uh, when he first came to the platoon, his wife was pregnant and, and she ended up having the baby while he was in the platoon. And, um, shortly after Jack was born, uh, Cody, you know, he's working with the dudes down in the bay and they're getting stuff ready to, to go to the field. And we still had a couple of days before we went to the field. He wasn't spending any time at home. It was always at work. Um, and I asked him. I said, "I said, what are you doing? Why, why haven't you, why haven't you went home to have dinner with your wife and, and your newborn son?" Well, you know, I got to, I got to make sure this is straight. I got to make sure this is straight. I got to take care of the soldiers. This, that, and the other. And I said, "That's cool." I said, so, so, what are your team leaders doing? Well, you know, I'm, I'm watching them do this. I'm watching them do this, and I'm having them do this, this, that, and the other. I said, so, do you, do you not think your team leaders are capable? No, well, I, I do. And and at that time, though, they were some of the best team leaders I'd, I'd ever seen. They were phenomenal. They were absolutely great and, and, and carried the weight of the platoon. Those team leaders did. Uh, um, he's like, no, I, I do, I do, I do. I said, all right, then, then you need to go home uh, and have dinner with your wife and, and your newborn son tonight. But back at that time, it was when you had, was it 10 days of yeah, it was, leave? It was yeah, it was 10. 10. 10 or 14, something like that. Today yeah. is, uh, is 21. It's 21. It's a, uh, a lot better. Yeah. I about. feel like I should give my days back. Right? <laughs> uh, but uh, so he kept fighting me about it. And I said, well, obviously you either you either don't trust your, your subordinate leaders and, and don't think that they're going to do the right thing or you don't want to spend time with your family, which is definitely the wrong answer in my eyes. You know, so, so what I did is I, with him next to me, I called his wife and I said, hey, Maggie. I said, it's it's Max. Said Cody's about ready to come home. He's gonna have dinner with you and Jack tonight. So <laughs> make sure make sure you have good dinner prepared. And she's just laughing. She's like, "Okay." I'm like, "No, seriously." Were, we, were you guys in garrison? Or were you guys? All yeah, we were in garrison, okay. getting ready to go to the field in the next couple of days. Uh, and and he was pissed, but I 
I walked him to his car. I watched him get in his car. I got in my car and I followed him wow. to his house to make sure and watched him go inside and, and made sure he had dinner with his family. And I went back to work to make sure the dudes were doing good and, and everything. So I, I guess I was somewhat hypocritical. Um, but you know, I, I think, I think that's what it's about, right? And ensuring that soldiers are not only taking care of themselves person, uh, professionally, but personally, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. you, especially the soldiers that are married in, in, in the army, um, you, you got to ensure that their family is, is being provided the same level of support as the soldiers are. And, and a lot of times as leaders, we forget that, you know, and we focus on the soldiers and, and we lose sight of, of our other family, right. Our, our spouse and Absolutely. our children. Um, so, you know, anytime that a, a leader takes the time to notice that a soldier has not been spending much time at home and, and forces them home to go spend some time with them, whether it's a dinner and then they have to return to work or, you know, a lunch break in which they can go home or whatever it is, but you, you gotta, you gotta ensure that's being met. Uh, and then, you know, one of my, my pet peeves is, is walking around like a, the troop, the troop footprint and, there's soldiers just sitting around and, you know, around the lockers or wherever and, and playing on their cell phones. I absolutely hate it. That's a missed opportunity for yeah. team leaders to be out there training. And, and you know, I, I have a counseling in which I counsel all the NCOs in the in the troop. I did it in Bulldog and, and I did it in HHT. But even in the counseling, it says there, there should be one to three classes conducted every single day. And it doesn't have to be a, a tactical class, Yeah, it doesn't class, need to be like right? a, a class in how to do it, right. an alpha every right. single time. Like, it, uh, it, it, can, it can be a finance class. It can be a class on AR670-1 and, and how the, like the, the female hair guidance, right? It, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but there should be some sort of professional growth training being conducted every day. And it's those opportunities in which soldiers are just sitting around and their time is being wasted because time is valuable, Actually, you know, and... and it's that time and soldiers could be with their family or soldiers could be, you know, at the, at the barracks spending time together, playing cards or playing video games or going traveling or whatever. You're wasting a soldier's time. If they're just sitting there, that's, that's, that's a night and, and it should not happen. So that's my big, biggest pet peeve. And, and so, you know, really the ideal team leader is, is somebody that, that takes the time to train. They take the time to care. They take time to get to know the soldier and they, they take the, time to get the soldiers or take the time to get to know the soldier's family, you know, if they're married as well. Absolutely. Um, so this reminds me of an episode of a podcast that I watched off the, the military leader podcast with retired command star major Schroeder. He used to be the, I think his old position was the, the star major for Tradoc. Right. And I know you've listened to it. Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of people listen to it and I, w- I want to see, What's your intake on his three attributes that he will give to 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 sergeant, which is inspect, train, and lead by personal example? And um, what do you think about that? Your troop commander and my my old troop commander when I was a bulldog first sergeant, Captain Williams. Uh, <clears throat> he showed you that. So yeah, he showed me that he, one too. He, he, he and <laughs> I ta- he and I talked about that and and actually. I mean, this was probably in May. I, I gave a class on leadership to. Um, all the NCOs and and some of the other specialists in the, in the troop, and within within that the class the the leadership training it was about two or three hours long right and it was intended to be about an hour. There was not a single bit of army doctrine or uh, army verbiage in there, minus 
the the army's definition of leadership, Absolutely. right? And other than that, it was it was all Q and A, right? So in, in NCOs providing examples and experience to other NCOs mm-hmm. for for us to grow and learn, and and I was learning a crap ton about the dudes out there, um, and and seeing some different examples of how that things that they've done and, and they've learned from. Um, but I, I did encompass Sergeant Major retired Schroeder's uh, uh, ideas on the the three words to identify each NCO rank from from sergeant to command sergeant major. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Captain Williams showed me that podcast. It, it was like a class that I gave to the entire troop. Mm-hmm. And that day, I was told that I was going to be going to the next promotion board from from specialist to sergeant, and he showed me that. He showed me that 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 podcast, and it, it was great. It's, it's uh, I learned a lot just from listening to it, and something I was going to take from me is a good sergeant is gonna is gonna inspect, train, and lead his soldiers by personal example. It's, it's a great podcast. Absolutely, I agree. And I it comes agree. with a dude that has a lot of experience. Like, yeah. the dude has a lot of experience under his belt, right? Um, what is the the hardest decision that you made in your military career, either being? Um, yeah, let's see. Like, what's your hardest decision you made in military career as a leader? You know, I, <clears throat> I would, I would say, probably the the most poor uh, decision that I that I've made um, up to this point was um, probably about a a year year and a half ago. So it's it's, it's fairly new. Is is that um, there are some things that a a senior leader said that I I certainly didn't agree with and and it, it really upset me and and um, struck a nerve and and I ended up bringing it up and, and talking about it but it was a couple months after the incident and I so that shows I held on to it for a couple yeah, of months absolutely. so it, it carried some weight sometimes you gotta so you just gotta like take some time and, and relax and think about it because if you just act right there you're probably gonna do something that you didn't want to do right. Gonna end up worse, but I, I think I think I should have spoken up sooner, um, be, because ultimately it, it revolved around um, soldier care and, and time, right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, time is valuable. Soldiers' times are valuable, and uh, and I feel like I should have talked. Uh, I should have spoken up sooner about it, and it, and it, it really upset me the the things that were said, and it, it drove me nuts for a couple of months before I had said something. Okay, I think I think that's probably the probably the the most poor decision that i've made uh in a long time what about um what's the hardest decision you made so i mean i i won't go into details because it's it's been touchy for a lot of people um within within the organization in, in which i was a part of um but speaking up um Speaking up uh, against another leader, mm-hmm. right? Um, because it was not, it was not the, it was not the preferred uh, message, and it and it wasn't what senior leaders wanted to hear. It wasn't something that they wanted to say or or see. <clears throat> um, you know, but it for me, it's it's like I said, you got to stay true to yourself, and and ultimately, morals and ethics. Um, 
are, are a big part of who I am. And I, and I like to think that I have pretty good morals and ethics. Um, so there, there are things that I didn't, I didn't like that were going on and, and I spoke up about it and, and it potentially could have cost a senior leader their, their job. Um, and, and I, I chose to speak up and, and ultimately I don't, I don't believe it was, it was, taken seriously my comments or my feedback, but it was hard for me to come up because there could have been a lot of negative implications on a lot of people uh, f- from the things that, that I'd brought up. Yeah, and it's, it's hard sometimes to speak up to someone that's you at the same level you or above you because sometimes a lot, a lot of people have a lot of pride in there. They don't they don't accept being corrected or, or doing stuff that it's not the way that they like doing it. And it, it um, ends up messing up the entire organization because doesn't matter if you're a sergeant major that's been in the army for 26 years, or plus, or if you're a private that's been in the army for two weeks. Everybody, everybody knows something better than the next person, and everybody should be able to help each other. Because if you're just that person that someone, someone tries to help you, give you some constructive criticism, and you just tell that person to to, to screw off or get out of your face because you you've been in longer or you know or you have more experience than that person, you're you're just you're just not betting yourself, and you're just creating a bad and unhealthy environment and it, it's a learning experience everybody's constantly learning it's yeah and, and it, you know individuality is is extremely important within the army i think and uh you know be, because even though you you are a specialist promotable and and i am a a first sergeant does not mean that you cannot provide positive insight exactly. and change right so you gotta you gotta create some individuality to inspire others to to come up with with those good ideas, right? To provide feedback, um, in 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 order to develop, uh, you know, new systems or better systems to Absolutely. to accomplish the mission, right? Yep. <coughs> uh, what what is uh what is your your advice to to junior leaders like a like like you said a specialist promotable or a brand new sergeant? in order for them to become successful as a non-commissioned officer in, in the Army? Uh, Not just the Army, just being a, a successful leader in general. Treat people like people. Absolutely. Right? So it's yeah. just like the, the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you'd have done to you, mm-hmm. right? Just It's just dumbed down quite a bit. And you treat people like people, right? Yeah. You, you know, you, you, you treat me like a good person, I treat you like a good person, like all, all is well. Absolutely. Right? And, and I think there's a lot to be said in that and in, in some of our conflict too, you know, uh, in the past it, it, there was a big problem in, in deployed soldiers, you know, doing stupid childish things, uh, with, with the youth, you know, like throwing them bottles of urine, right. Or, or whatever. And, and abusing prisoners and, that's not necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they are they are going to potentially do do crime. Or they're going to go through process and and you know be judged and, and potentially convicted yeah. for serious crimes, right? And, and they have and they have the people that are designated right. to like and, and uh, my, questioning and stuff like that, right? And my and my thought process too, you know, in, in deployments with with like the the kids, uh, you know, like my dad he would send me boxes and boxes of school supplies. Mm-hmm. And I loved giving school supplies out and candy and stuff out because the the way that I thought in, in my thought process going through these deployments, and, and I know not everybody's good, but I like to think that there is good in everybody. Um, 
was that, hey, by, by me providing this kid, these kids in this village, a whole bunch of school supplies and candy and food, you know, and, and here comes grandma and grandpa or mom and dad talking about how horrible the Americans are and the Americans do this bad, they do this bad, they do this bad. Well, the counter argument is, well, the only inter- the only Americans I've interacted with have provided me with supplies yeah, for absolutely. school and they've provided me with candy and they've provided me with food. So it makes it it makes it hard for those older generations to pass, you know, some some potentially bad biases uh, to the future of of that of that government. Absolutely. You know, so I, I think tr- just treating people like people um, is is the the some of the, the best advice that you can give. And and that was my motto and my big thing in Bulldog. And it's mm-hmm. the same in HHTs. Hey, treat people like people. Absolutely. Do the right thing. And a lot of times um, we will get that, uh, a brand new soldier, come, brand new private coming out straight out of airborne school and show up to the unit. And he's going to get a hard time. It, it, it's just going to happen. It, it's just the nature of the beast. And I can't speak for the civilian world, but because that never happened to me, but in the military, every time we get a new guy, he's, he's going to get a hard time. Obviously with boundaries, we're not going to, we're not going to do, anything illegal we're not gonna talk about his sexual preference or his religion or his family and stuff like that but you, you're gonna you're gonna give him a hard time because you want to see what that what that guy is capable of you want to see <clears throat> see well, is this guy gonna protect me in combat is this guy is this guy gonna or is this guy gonna turn his back whenever we start getting shot at because it's a brand new guy showing up to a group of guys that have been working for a, for a long time together and and you want to see what, how th- what this guy's made of you want to see what, what, he, what he can do and that that just doesn't mean we're gonna haze him. We're gonna treat him like he he's not he's not a person. But he he's gonna get a hard time regardless. It, it's just how it goes. Yeah, I mean, so like, you know, my favorite class to teach is a is a MS one like a freshman instructor at Arizona State was was the one on warrior ethos and army values, right? And I I didn't do I didn't teach a class the way it was intended to be taught, and I mm-hmm. didn't use the curriculum in which Cadet Command told me to teach. Um, I, I created my own. So here's what's lost, I think, is so when, when talking about warrior ethos, they they always talk about Medal of Honor recipients, right? And and I am so thankful for all the Medal of Honor recipients and, and they they provided, you know, the the world with so much and, and they can they've done so many so many amazing things. You know, and my and my, my favorite my biggest military hero is probably Roy Benavides. I mean his story is crazy inspirational and awesome. But I, I think I think where we're failing is we gotta we gotta be able to provide um, a better understanding to uh, our junior leaders and our junior soldiers. So the way that I would talk about it, especially the the never leave a fallen comrade for those that are getting ready to transition into becoming a a junior NCO or an NCO uh, or a senior NCO, is that that last portion is so important because people automatically push that to, to combat. Well, the reality is a lot of people are not going to combat right now. So, so how does that play into my day to day life? Right. So you, you, at some point you are going to have a soldier that makes mistakes, Mm -hmm. you know, whether, whether that's stealing from the PX, it's a DUI, it's drug use, it's whatever, right. There's, there's a long list of things that soldiers could do. Um, but that soldier is now a fallen comrade, right? So what are you going to do in, in that, in that specific instance, you know, it, it, are you going to yell at them and, and treat them like shit for uh, you making a poor decision? I mean, they're they're going to pay for it, you know, and potentially th- that that punishment is separation from the army, and that's something that they're going to have to fight for the rest of their life. 
So what that person really needs at that point is, is a, a person and a leader to rely on, mm-hmm. you know? So being that, that comfort, exactly. being, being that, that, that safety blanket, Hey, you know, I understand that you're going through hard times. I'm going to help you get through these times. And I will be a hundred percent open and honest with you throughout the entire process mm-hmm. on where it stands and where it goes. Where it's where it's at. Yeah. It's all you need to fix a problem. Yeah. The big example is, is, uh, I had, had I'm not going to get into deals, but I had a time that I was kind of falling back and, getting distracted on my on my um on my career but I, I i got pulled into your office had a talk with my platoon star at the time um at the time it's our first class but today is a uh, first sergeant smith great guy had a talk with with a uh, first sergeant max pumphrey here and and um <coughs> captain williams and we talked and all i needed was to talk and from then there it was just progressing and progressing and progressing right yeah sometimes you've done well someone thank you I just rely on a lot of people that I look up to. Like you said, just be the best you can be. What is your key to the success? Having faith in others, I think, right? Okay. So it, it, it's all encompassed in, in the things that I've talked about. Being the best version of yourself, uh, treating people like people. Um, you're going to be successful if, if you do right by others, right? So the Army talks about, you know, uh, mission success and soldier welfare, and, and it's in the, the creed of the non-commissioned officer, right? But, you know, ultimately, if if soldier welfare is your number one priority, the mission will always be successful, 100%. By, by welfare does not mean just having a soldier happy and go home early. Right. Welfare is like having a soldier trained and obviously – um, caring about his morale and stuff like that. Right, absolutely. You know, and, and by taking care of your soldiers and ensuring that they're in the right spot and, and they're where they need to be, the mission will, will always be successful, right? So the the key to my success has been the subordinates be below me, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing that I've done. It's just me getting to know those those individuals and taking the time to, to take care of them. Um, and then through their hard work, leads to you know other success right <clears throat> and then ho- the big thing is 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 hopefully that's something that you can inspire and and teach uh to to subordinate leaders is it's the importance of 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 people right and the importance of of those that that are subordinate um and if that message is conveyed you know then they too will be successful exactly right all right um we're, we're, we're almost about to wrap it up here right and I don't want us to get mistaken with the question I asked before, but do you have someone that you use that as inspiration to, to like, on your day-to-day? Like, like I have I have some people that I, I inspire myself to try to do the same as them or even better. Do you have someone like that? My my inspiration, hands down, every day is, is my wife and my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they they inspire me every day. Like, my wife is amazing, right? So she she, she works part-time. She goes to the gym every single day. She she always cleans the house. She always has dinner prepared. I mean, how she does it, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, and I try. Crazy. Like she she was working today, and you know, I was I was trying to get errands done and go shopping and take care of the kids and, and the the craziness of of multitasking that has to be done in order to do what she does every day. I I don't I don't know. I don't get it. She, she's absolutely amazing, and she pushes me to to want to be 
you know, even more successful, you know, as a person, not just professionally, but personally, she, she makes me want to be better every single day. And my kids, I want them to, to grow in an environment in which they respect people and they respect themselves and, and they have goals and they have motivation and they and have you, drive. you're the first person that they, they look up to. Right. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's what, you know, and you talk about my running. I, I don't, I don't choose to run marathons because I, I love running that much. You know, even though you do running. I mean, it's a great, it's a great stress relief. Remember that time that you pay like 150 years to do a stupid amount of miles? But I mean, it's for a good reason, right? I get some, some physical fitness. It it helps my cardiovascular fitness. I, I get a free t-shirt, potentially a medal, right? You know, (laughs) I guess it's not, not a free t-shirt, but I get a t-shirt out of the deal, right? It's a $150 t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, it's worth it, right? But you know, uh, so I, you know, I I do it because it, at the finish line, my, my wife and my kids are always there. Yeah. Right. And, and, and every time I cross the finish line, I'm, I'm finishing with a smile on my face and I want them to see, you know, that, Hey, I just ran 26 miles or I ran 40 miles. Right. And, and I'm still smiling. I'm still happy, you know, and, and I want them to think fitness is a priority and I want them to be healthy and live long lives. Um, and, and I don't want them to be a, a national statistic. I mean, America, mm-hmm. America is obese. That's what everybody yeah, talks about, right? Yes, and yes. I, I don't want them to be a part of that statistic yeah. because with obesity comes diabetes and all sorts of other stuff, right? But, you know, my my inspiration, hands down, is my wife and my kids, and, and they motivate the hell out of me, and, and I love them with all my heart, and, and they will forever be my everything. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, and I'm going to go to the last question right now. It's, it's nothing to do with leadership. This is actually going to be probably a little bit funny for people that know what it is. What happened to the guide on when Captain Osborne was about to leave? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I I wish I knew. So the the story is uh, for for everybody that that'll be listening here is um, we we kept our guide on in in the uh, the troop right and. Uh, Locked the troop up for the weekend, came back on Monday, and the the staff was there. However, the, the guide-on uh, itself and a, um, a streamer that was given to us for, for being the best company troop battery in the brigade. Um, That's why it was stolen. We're, we're missing, right? So it was the, probably Ambush. She was the, first on the, at the time. <laughs> it, 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 was, it wouldn't have been Cameron. Uh, first on camera, I know it was you. I hope you're listening <laughs> to this. It, it was missing. It was the the guide on was removed. The streamer was cut. Uh, I think that was the first time that a lot of people would see me really, really pissed off. And, it's the only and time irritated. I've seen you pissed off. Yeah. I threw the staff. Uh, there was a lot of yelling. Um, I don't know. I dug into it for a little bit. Um, Captain Osborne. He he was the the outgoing commander, and Captain Williams was the inbound commander. No, I I had. I had the other one framed for him, so he he did not have that one. Um, so they they both asked me to let it go, so I kind of let it go. But but it's I mean it still strikes a nerve, you know, to include now in, in HHT. I uh, I I keep the guide on uh, <laughs> hidden every single day. I I take it and and keep it in a special place uh, to ensure that doesn't happen. That that was a. That that was a, a difficult time. I was very upset. I mean, we ju- we just uh, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of embarrassed saying this, but we just had a this past week our program went on leave. One of the new guys, like he was brand new to the troop, brand new to the unit, 
he got caught <laughs> trying to take <laughs> trying to take Amber Troops got on. Oh. Like in the middle, of, right, right after PT, literally right after PT, I'm like, what an idiot! Man. Yeah, and and that's the thing too. You, you should never, you should never do it to your peers, right? You know, especially being so close with the Anvil Troop. I know that they're quote unquote our competition, right? Because we're the two like troops within the squadron, both yeah, being the, the mounted maneuver troops, right? But uh, at the end of the day, like Anvil and and Bulldog and and Comanche, I mean, it, all, all five troops need to be one. Uh, in in order to accomplish a mission and you know i i don't know i don't know what happened to the gun on i i would love to know um but it's one of those things that just always eat at me people people blame me for taking that guy on till this day right because that weekend i mean that week some something something i, I didn't do I, I messed up at work and my punishment was to stay at troop during Saturday and Sunday from zero seven to nineteen hundred every day, right? And I left on Sunday. The God on was there, and I <laughs> we came back this morning. The next morning, the God on was gone. And I'm like, oh, I already know what's gonna happen now. So people, till this day, people still make jokes. Where's the God on? Where's the God on? And I'm like, yeah. yeah and you know the the thing is like, there's a lot. I of wish I took it. Huh? I you wish I took it. <laughs> yeah. I memories. Yeah, good memories. Uh. You know, it, it 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 is done. It is over. It is what it is. Uh, will I forever be be upset a little bit? Yeah, I will. But uh, it's done and it's over. There's nothing I can do to fix it. You know, yeah. and and ultimately, I I figured within the first couple hours, with nobody being able to provide anything, that that I would probably never see it again. And yeah. and and. It's just one of those things, like you get over it, but you don't get over it. You know, it yeah. just kind of stays with you. Yeah. And um, for the for the dude that tried to take the god on of Amplitude the other day, for those that do not know <laughs> and never seen First Sergeant Cameron, he's a pretty big dude, and he does not look like a guy you want to get mad. He's so that dude probably got got pretty got chewed out by pretty upset First Sergeant. First Sergeant Cameron's pretty awesome fellow. He, he's a good buddy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was my last question, and we have come to an end, unfortunately, of the first ever episode of the World's Greatest Leaders podcast. Max, it's an honor to have you on. It was it was great spending some time with you, and I really appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on and, and talking a little bit about your experiences and some decisions you made in your life throughout your career and, and sharing a little bit of knowledge to, to me and the listeners. Um, I wish you a happy new year. Listeners, I wish you all a happy new year, and... Stand by for the next episode. I'm going to have some pretty awesome people come on and, and share some, some more knowledge and, and leadership experiences to you guys, right? Um, I'll see you guys in the next episode. You guys have a wonderful new year. I hope you had you guys had a great Christmas, and see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks for having me, JP. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for asking me. No problem. Thanks for coming. <laughs>